Hello and welcome to the Seville Productions Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Rupert McConnick, founder and EP at Seville Productions. I'm delighted today to have on as a guest, Mike Cesario, CEO and co-founder of Liquid Death. So let's just jump in. Tell me a little bit about your background and the inspiration behind starting Liquid Death. Sure. So my background before Liquid Death was in the creative advertising agency world. Uh, I started out as an art director, then became a copywriter, then a creative director, um, and just always you know, had my own point of view on how brands were doing marketing wrong or not really marketing like the actual year we live in. Like they're still adhering to like old, you know, 1990s pre social media kind of thinking in a world where social media dominates people's attention and the internet's a completely different thing than it was even 10 years ago. Um, And then I used sort of that when it came time to create my own brand, um, you know, it gave me the opportunity to do the kinds of marketing that, I, that I've always sort of pitched to brands in in conference rooms and usually my ideas get killed. Um, now I had an opportunity to, you know, kind of put my money where my mouth is, so to speak, and, you know, market a brand in a way that I think culture wants now. And um, that was kind of the whole point of Liquid Death was how do you take the healthiest thing you could drink, which is water, and market it and brand it in a way that can actually compete with all the cool marketing and branding for junk food and alcohol and energy drinks and all that stuff, which typically has all the most fun youth culture, commercials, packaging, social accounts, all of that stuff. Like one of the best social media accounts or funniest social media accounts is Slim Jims. You know, it's like something most people don't even really want to eat but they know how to market really well. So that, that was kind of like the ethos of like why kind of we created Liquid Death and sort of the, what the, the sort of point of the brand is. Make health and sustainability 50 times more fun than any other health or sustainable brand from a marketing standpoint. So which brings me on to the next question. Liquid Death focuses on health and sustainability for people and the planet. How do you differentiate yourself from other health and wellness companies? Well, I mean, the, the easy answer is is brand. You know, I think most there's not many health and wellness companies that are trying to be fun and irreverent. Um, there's lots, like I said, of junk food um, and alcohol companies that do that every day with their brands. There's not many healthy companies doing it. And I've always thought that a lot of health and sustainability focused companies really just preach to the converted, so, so to speak. It's, hey, I'm going to make this brand that's very appealing to people in Los Angeles who already really care about the planet versus if you're really going to solve the problem, there's a lot of other people in the country that you've got to get on board with this solution. And you have to think about mass appeal in a different way if you truly are going to make something that's going to change behavior in some way 
and often things that Californians love, everyone in the heartland decides they hate because Californians love it. You know? Right, right, yeah. Uh, right. Thing, right? Um, I was just in Montana, and you don't want to have, say, you're from California. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so how, how does Liquid Death approach marketing with humor and sarcasm? How, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do you brainstorm this stuff? How does it, where does it come from? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's just, it's, we're just constantly trying to make entertainment instead of marketing. Even if the final piece of entertainment is an ad, that it feels more like an ad you would see on Saturday Night Live when they're doing a spoof commercial. Right. Or yes, it's a commercial, but it feels like legitimate comedy that you're watching. That That's kind of the the bar that we're always trying to hit with everything we do. We don't want to make an ad because people hate ads. And yeah, I think once you start holding things to that standard of this is how funny it has to be, it's pretty easy to see like what stuff is making us laugh really hard. What stuff do we really believe when we post this, everyone who sees it's going to be like, Oh my God, this is amazing. You have to see this. And if you're really honest about that filter, will people really do this? Uh, it's really hard to get to the, to the ideas that make it through. So, so tell us about the horror film you made, um, Dead, Till, Dead Till Death. Yeah, so we, we came up with the idea for the movie after we did an animated spot where we had this can-headed barbarian who was like murdering thirst and like chopping people to pieces in this little animated commercial. And... The guy we worked with on that, his name's Will Carsola. He's an Adult Swim TV show creator, created the show Mr. Pickles. He drew the skull on our liquid death cans. He was like an early investor and advisor in the brand. And then after we kind of did this animated thing that did super well on the internet, he was like, oh, how funny would it be if we did like a live action horror movie with the same character? And then that just started thinking about the whole general concept of, oh, what if liquid death made a live action horror movie? was something that was always kicking around in the background for a long time. Eventually, when we had the time and kind of started landing on what the premise of the horror film would be, Will started writing the script. And since, you know, he had had, you know, four plus seasons of a successful show on Adult Swim where they have a writer's room they're in every day. For, you know, he took the script very seriously in terms of like story beats and structure and, and all of that. So... Once we kind of had this script, then we found a production company that uh, a buddy of mine was running out of Philadelphia and Los Angeles. And once we shared the script with him, he was kind of like, oh, this is like way better than I was expecting it to be when you told me you, what, what this kind of thing was. So then they got excited to be a part of it. And yeah, all of a sudden, like we're, we're shooting a 45 minute long live action horror movie in the woods of Pennsylvania. And um, yeah, it's like, you know, we, we shot it for what, you know, some people for less than what some people spend to produce a 30 minute spot or 30 right. second spot. Right. Um, and yeah, it was, um, came out great. We did a premiere for it. Everyone loved it. We put it on Amazon um, and yeah, we'll probably end up for the first time just like releasing it just like for free on YouTube um, this Halloween. So everybody can watch it. You don't have to pay on Amazon to watch it. Right. But yeah. That's cool. Um, and what was the success of it? You know, did you get, uh, 
did you manage to get, did you get it put into theaters and stuff like that? Or yeah, again, this was more you know, it was during the pandemic, so nobody there was we couldn't go to theaters really. Like we launched a trailer for it, which we kind of knew that the trailer would probably be the asset that really got shared. It's like oh my god, look, Liquid Death made a horror movie. So we put the trailer on social that got like a couple million views or whatever it was, and then. Back during the pandemic when like live, like ticketed live streams were kind of a thing where bands were, you, you could buy tickets to a band doing a live stream. We did like a live stream of the movie that we paid or that we sold tickets for. I think it was like 10 bucks or something like that. So we did like a live streaming and then we just kind of put it on Amazon and made it like two ninety nine to buy. Like, so you can just buy it. You don't have to rent it for two ninety nine. You can just own it if you pay that. Um, and we just kind of put it on there and yeah, we, we didn't really do a ton of, we didn't do really a ton of promo for it. It was just kind of, Hey, it made the big social splash that we wanted it to make, you know, a good amount of people saw it, like has great reviews on Amazon. Um, and yeah, it was just like a good first sort of project. We got close to having one of the like streaming services want to actually buy it, but it was just, it, it just didn't the timing just like was, wasn't right on it. But I think it, it was, it was cool to kind of just get into the truly long form world, totally on our own for the first time and just kind of try it out. Yeah. That's cool. So, so how do you avoid the typical marketing, obvious, obvious question? How do you avoid the typical marketing and advertising cliches? Obviously you're, you're kind of making horror movies for a start. You know? Yeah. Well, a lot of times our approach to marketing is making fun of the advertising cliches. Right. Like let's find, an advertising cliche and do it, but in our own way that we're clearly making fun of whatever that cliche is like a big one being the, the blind taste test that every brand or product tries to use to prove how superior they are. We did our own version of the blind taste test. That was a very twisted version of it. And it was like one of our best performing social videos that we've ever done. And are you, uh, do you make fun of particular brands? Is that, you know, you must have, you know, evil empires that you're going after it's going to and poke the bear you know kind of thing not so much we don't really go after particular brands i think the only time we ever you know kind of poked the bear a bit was when we did our um loving homes for plastic campaign which was you know plastic so bad yet coke and pepsi are still producing so much of it they must be doing it because they just really, really love plastic. So we made these prepaid postage labels where you could stick it on a plastic bottle and put it in a mailbox and it mails it back to Coca-Cola <laughs> or mails it back to Pepsi. And we did a funny video around that. And we didn't like, you know, call them out, you know, in a very aggressive way. It was just sort of this like friendly tongue in cheek poke of like, hey, we know that, you know, you guys are a big part of this kind of plastic problem. And how do you, yeah, how do you have fun with it in, a, in a, using comedy in a way that people want to share it? So, so what's your sort of target market for your products, for, for Liquid Death specifically? Is it, you know, millennials, Gen Z, people in metropolitan areas? Or, you know, do you have specific sort of goal there? Or is it just sort of cool young people? No, I mean, it's very wide. I I think the easiest way that we can describe who the target market is, it's anyone with a great sense of humor. And it's why, I mean, we have 
grandmas posting about liquid death and how much they love it on social. We've got nine-year-olds, we've got metal heads, we've got Instagram fitness models. Like, but I think like the connective tissue between all of it, they all seem to like, whether it's an old lady posting and she gets that it's funny, that looks like she's drinking a beer and wants to post about it or a parent posting a photo of their nine-year-old because it's funny. Like everybody gets the joke of it and appreciates making people laugh. Like that's kind of the connective tissue, I think. Cool. Um, uh, and how are you looking to expand that group? Is it, I mean, when was it when you run out of people who don't have a sense of humor? <laughs> are you going to reach them? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think we can still be a $50 billion, you know, brand and not ever have to go beyond people who don't like to laugh. <laughs> uh, I think it's a huge, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a huge, huge pull when it comes to, to funny. So, so how do you think brands have changed how they approach brand purpose, you know, early in your career compared to now, obviously brand purpose is the, the, the mantra now for everyone. Um, and it wasn't 10 years, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. I mean, I feel like brand purpose is becoming a thing that's it's getting very watered down. Um, I, I feel like it started, at least the one that I think of, the one that really pops out is Tom's Shoes. It was a very clear, oh, you buy a pair of shoes, we donate a pair of shoes to someone who needs it. It was very clear to understand. It was the first time it seems like, oh, a company that feels, you know, even high end it is so based in something that's doing good. And there was, it was massively successful. And I feel like that opened people's eyes to like, hey, how do brands have, how can brands be successful, but also do good and have it be, not just doing good be this small little thing that, oh yeah, we also do this, but it's it becomes a main part of the brand and the communication. Um, but now I think it feels like every brand is trying to beat their chest and say, we're safe, you know, we're saving the world or they're really trying to like, force certain things to make it seem like they care. And it's, uh, there's just, yeah, it's just a lot of folks are trying to do it. I think it's important that brands, they have to find a way, how are you authentically doing it? That is very clear and makes sense. It doesn't feel like, Oh, you're really grasping to try to be doing good when you're not really, you know? Right. And there's a backlash, you know, there was a thing, I think it was in January in the financial times in the UK where, you know, Hellman's had said, well, you know, our goal is to get rid of food waste. I think the notion there is you use Hellman's to just spruce up some old chicken or something, right? Um, and then there was a big article, well, actually, no, your your purpose, Hellman's, is to taste good so more people buy it, um, which I don't really agree with either because I think it should taste good, yeah. should be healthy, and probably be good for the planet, should be all three. Um, and, uh, and I'm not convinced people buy mayonnaise anyway. So <laughs> I think that whole taste thing has changed so much, right? I mean, when I was growing up, it was ketchup and mayonnaise and mustard. When I was about eight. Now we've got about 100 choices. So, yeah. so the question there is, is, do you think sort of brands are just going ridiculously overboard on these things and, and sort of losing their focus? Or do you think that they have a real place to play in the world with these things? I mean, Unilever and P&G and so on are really pushing that kind of thing. I think they have a real place because any big change comes from essentially the people who have all the money and resources. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, when these big companies are able to leverage their 
their capital resources to actually make a difference, they can make a bigger difference than four hippies in a pickup truck in Northern California, you know? So I, I think it, I think it's, everything's moving in the right direction. And there's like, you know, just ultimately big companies and giant corporations are designed to make money and protect their, their money. And if, if the market is demanding purpose and do doing good, they have to answer the market. Yeah. They, they, can't, they can only ignore the market so long. So I think that's what's happening. They're acknowledging there is a need in the market for pe- people want this stuff that's doing good. They're willing to pay more for things that they perceive are doing good. It, so doing good actually can make economic sense for companies and it not just be something that's a complete loss and you're just doing it, at, you know. So yeah, I, I think... They, they have a real place to start doing these things. It's just a matter of, okay, what exactly are they doing? How much of it are they doing? Because, you know, in the modern times of the internet, it's really hard to kind of bullshit people to too much of a degree now. Like you'll get called out on social, one social post about, hey, Nestle actually does this or Coke actually does this. That can get picked up in the news the next day and be everywhere. So you can't hide as much as maybe you used to. So, yeah, I think it's just a matter of how, how they figure out. how. To and also they can't greenwash. I think that's the point, right? I mean, yeah. You know, you're in the world yeah. of taking on plastics, right, which is great. Um, yeah. But there's a huge, you know, every major brand is saying that we're upping our recycling of plastic, which doesn't necessarily address the issue. <laughs> it's like saying I'm going to recycle asbestos because we don't actually know what microplastics does to humans or the food chain right right now. But I'm sure in a hundred years we will, and be like probably going, oh my god, we put that in the, in the, uh, <laughs> we put that out on the planet. <laughs> um, right. So that's right. always the question. So, so, what do you think about plastic recycling and all that whole thing? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think the bigger issue with with plastic recycling is that it's not actually recyclable the way people think it right. is. You know, and, and you can trace, and you know, you can trace back all these plastic lobbyists from as far back as, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, where they wanted people to think that plastic is recyclable because there was so much of it popping up. And then the reality is, yes, technically you can't, it, it is recyclable, but, you know, it's like saying my genes are recyclable, but doesn't mean that, oh, I can throw them in the recycling bin and all of a sudden I have new genes because it would cost way too much money to process those genes and make them into new genes and all of that stuff. So it, it, you wouldn't actually say, oh yeah, genes are recyclable. Same thing with plastic. It's even if you send your plastic to the plastic recycling plants, it costs them too much money to process that. And then they can't resell it at any kind of profit. So they will lose money trying to process plastic and they're just not going to do it. So all they do is they, they're not in the business of going out of business. So they are uh, going to send that plastic to landfills and what they used to do with it was they would basically just stick it on ships and send it to China. Right. And that would be considered it was recycled. <laughs> we don't have no idea what happened to it there. And there's people who say, oh, I think a lot of the plastic in the ocean could be from China was just so tired of receiving this stuff. They were just dumping it in the ocean because they're like, we don't have room for this stuff. So anyway, yeah, I think that's the bigger thing with plastic recycling is people – that language that brands use, oh, we're opting to use this much, you know, 
recycle this much more plastic. It's, it's not actually re- recycling. Right. You know, it's like, yes, you, you could recycle it once maybe. And then the next guy who gets it, that's just going to a landfill. Yeah. You know, so. Well, it turns into a sort of sticky blob. It's not like aluminum yeah. or steel where you just boil it to its you know, component temperature and then it turns back into what it was originally. Plastic's just a, you know, (laughs) fossil fuel blob at that point, isn't it? And then people try and do things. And and to your point, I think there was a famous shoe company that have launched a, you know, a plastic line from recycled plastic from the oceans. Then it turned out they're only using a little bit from the oceans. (laughs) And the rest was, you know, they were just getting more plastic because they couldn't afford it. It wasn't affordable otherwise, which is a good point. Um. So, so what, what companies do you admire in the purpose space? You know, you look at these companies that are, everyone's talking purpose now. Are there companies that you look at and go, wow, they're really doing a good job? I mean, is there someone that you've seen, you know, Patagonia is an obvious one, but, you know, is there someone you really admire in that, I don't know, climate change issues or plastics or, um, you know, issues of inequality, whether it's LGBTQ rights or black lives and so on. Are there particular brands you think are really doing an effective job, an authentic job as well. Yeah, I think there's there's different brands who have done, I think, different initiatives that were big and really interesting. You know, obviously Patagonia, like they've always done done great stuff in the space. I think um, REI, I think, is an interesting one. They've, they've done a few interesting things. And, um, you know, I think even Nike, you know, when they did the Colin Kaepernick commercial, during that time where it was the whole divided, you know, players were kneeling and it was this divisive, like kind of racist sentiment around, hey, to do this does not mean you're not a patriot. It means you're saying that there is a problem in the country and I care enough about this country to I, I want to fix the problem. And when Nike ran that commercial with Colin Kaepernick, they they were willing to put a line in the sand. We're on this side of a huge issue that was divisive. And I remember seeing people saying they're going to burn their Nikes and I'm not buying Nikes anymore. And they were like, you know what? That's fine because the other half of the country, they are now going to wear these shoes as a flag to be like, this is what I stand for. I support this. And and I think that's, I think an example of, you know, a big company who you would think is just only concerned about making every single person a customer. And they, they were willing to say, hey, we realize, and again, like I said, as companies figure out, there are economic ways to do the right thing and do good and find a way to do it. And I think that was like a good example of it, you know, outside of like, obviously they've got their own, you know, <laughs> sustainability issues and things like that. But just in terms of like, an important cultural issue that a company can take. Right. And, and, and brands now, they're all leaving Russia. They were, 10 years ago, I'm not sure they would have done, actually. <laughs> I yeah, think they yeah. would have deflected it. But, you know, Netflix, for example, the, the reason why part of their subscription base went down is because they left Russia. <laughs> everyone <laughs> forgets that. So it was a little unfair on them that everyone's not many good, it's collapsing. No, they left Russia. Um, and that yeah. was going to be a big market for them. That's 180 million people or something. And they were making quite, there was actually a really good show that they made, like a zombie kind of thing, which was really good on Netflix, which was the first Russian show. So they had to cancel everything. And obviously huge brands are just walking away. And you've got, you know, you've got the Russian Starbucks and the 
Russian McDonald's and all these things popping up. Um, who knows what's in those burgers, you know, but um, all of it grim, I should think. Um, so w- what advice would you give to people who are looking to implement purpose in their brand? I think you have to, again, you have to figure out what makes sense for your brand. Like what's, what's something that it makes sense that your brand would help support what's, you know, that's probably first and foremost, like, it's like, you know, you can be an alcohol company, but like, if I don't know, you're an alcohol company and your whole goal is to stop domestic violence, (laughs) you know, that might be a tricky thing to do because how many people are drunk doing those things, you know? So yeah, I, I think you have to you have to find what makes sense for the brand. You have to find like what do you actually care about? I think that's a thing. It's like it's if you try to just oh, I need to find a cause and like I don't really give a shit about this, but my company is going to give a shit about it. Uh that's probably not going to work out too well. And I think the other thing is, you know, it you want to find something that I mean, I don't know if you find something but it's like the things that work best are things that feel that, that people can understand easily, you know, cause at the end of the day, if you're making a brand and your brand, you have to communicate this stuff to the masses. If it's insanely complex, they're just not going to understand what you're trying to do and, and, and it might not work. It's like, you have to find something that's very easy to understand and distill to people and they can, um, you know, so they can get on board and, and help you. Cause I think that's the other thing with, with causes, people are also very careful. You know, it's like, Oh, like I don't, if I support this thing and I wave my own flag, is someone going to be like, what the fuck are you doing? You don't know what you're talking about. Like they kind of want to feel like, Hey, I really understand this. So if I opt into this brand and I'm walking around with this can or this shoe that if someone asked me about that, I know how to react to it and I don't just look like, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I'm fake or that I'm, I'm doing something that I have no idea about. It's almost going to be something in one sentence, right? You know, yeah. I mean, liquid death wants to have fun with sustainability. I mean, it's kind of almost as you compress it down. Whereas Hellman's mayonnaise wants to take on food waste, but then you have to explain why, because, you know, because yeah. all those leftovers can be turned into delicious food with the mayonnaise. So it's not, it, it actually requires several sentences to explain that. It's not like a very clear thing. It's like a very complicated logline on a movie or something like what, what's going on. Yeah. And it's like with, with Hellman's, it's like mayonnaise, it's made from eggs. Eggs come from farms. It's like, oh, Hellman's wants to make better conditions for animals or farmers. Like that feels more natural and you can understand. Absolutely. Where but the question right. is, I'm not sure what Hellman's is actually made from. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they might not have wanted to draw attention to that, so that might be a problem, right, right, you know, right. um, which is good. So, so anyway, Mike, thank you, thank you for joining us today. And uh, it's been wonderful to have you on, and and good luck with your 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 next liquid death in endeavors. Thank you, appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Seville Productions Purpose Podcast. Learn more about Seville Productions and our work in the purpose and sponsored entertainment space www.savilleproductions.com Next week, we'll be interviewing Ty Montague, Chief Purpose Officer of Co-Collective.